0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering.
1: For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.
0: You're listening to Device, your monthly book club with a science-based twist. I am your host, Emily T. Griffiths, and in this episode, we're going to focus on Life as We Knew It by Susan Beth Pfeffer. This novel reads as the collection of journals and loose notes of Miranda Evans, a Pennsylvanian 16-year-old, as she documents her and her family's survival through the aftermath of a massive meteor pushing the moon closer to the Earth. In this episode, we're going to discuss how shifting the moon's orbit can realistically impact our lives here on Earth after the break.
1: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Device, and this episode is about Life as We Knew It by Susan Beth Pfeffer. In a rural Pennsylvania town, Miranda Evans recalls her very teenage life with her very teenage concerns in her very teenage journal.
2: I wish it was summer already. I can't wait to get my driver's license.
0: 16-year-old Miranda lives at home with her mom.
2: Mom gave me one of her famous You Shouldn't Be So Careless lectures.
0: Her baseball enthusiast younger brother, Johnny.
2: There's money to send Johnny to baseball camp this summer, but there's not enough for me to have skating lessons.
0: Her father is remarried and lives elsewhere, and her older brother, Matt, is away at school.
2: Matt's always been the one to explain things to me.
0: She is obsessed with an Olympic figure skater that grew up in her hometown.
2: The fan board is still fighting over whether Brandon will need two quads to win the Olympics or whether he could win with one. It would be so amazing if Brandon won gold. I bet we'd have a parade and... That's enough
0: of that. There's nothing extraordinary about Miranda's life. In fact, the first few chapters of this novel are filled with eye-roll-worthy moments. But that's sort of the point. It's boring, as most of our lives are at that age. Through her, we learn that around 9.30 p.m. on Wednesday, May 18th, a meteor is going to hit the moon. A meteor large enough that the impact will be visible from Earth. Now, there are a few qualifiers there. First off, meteors hit the moon all the time. They're just inconsequential. The moon gets hit by about 2,800 kilograms of meteor material per day, which does sound like a lot. However, if you scale the size of the moon to the size of the city of San Diego, that would mean a meteor weighing as much as a 9-volt battery would land every day. Annoying. Could even cause some damage, but it isn't going to change how we live our daily lives. A meteor large enough for us to see the impact, however? It's a different story. It's newsworthy. But for Miranda…
2: They made it sound pretty dramatic, but I still don't think it's worth three homework assignments.
0: Astronomers filling their airways told Miranda's family that the density of the meteor wasn't heavy enough to do any damage to the moon. It was simply an exciting spectacle in the night sky.
2: Actually, it was kind of interesting. I never really thought about how when I look at the moon, it's the same moon Shakespeare and Marie Antoinette and George Washington and Cleopatra looked at. Not to mention all those zillions of people I've never heard of before. Also, the Homo sapiens and Neanderthals looked at the very same moon as me. It waxed and waned in their sky, too.
0: So, the big night. Telescopes and binoculars out. Miranda and her family are out on the street.
2: It seemed like everyone on the road was out tonight. Some of the people were on their decks having barbecues. Half moon hanging in the sky.
0: It's a clear night, and as it gets closer to 9.30...
2: Things got really quiet. You could sense how we were all craning our necks looking towards the sky.
0: The meteor appears.
2: The biggest shooting star you could imagine. It was a lot smaller than the moon, but bigger than anything I'd ever seen in the sky.
0: And then, it hits. They don't hear anything from the ground, only their neighbors cheering in the road. Until they saw their moon change.
2: The moon wasn't a half moon anymore. It was tilted and wrong and a three-quarter moon, and it got larger, way larger. Large like a moon rising on the horizon, only it wasn't rising. It was smack in the middle of the sky, way too big, way too visible.
0: Soon they realized their phones were out of service. The internet was down. And this small rural town in Pennsylvania, which got its news from New York City, lost cable. They only got the local news feed. Miranda, her mother, and her brother Johnny watched the news.
2: At first, they didn't seem to know much more than we did. The moon got hit like we've been told it would, only something had been miscalculated.
0: Reports started coming in that the density of the meteor was greater than models had predicted. Which stood out to me. I mean... We know the masses of some asteroids in the asteroid belt. That's roughly 300 million miles away. And ever so often, there's a story in the news about a distant planet in a galaxy far, far away that has Earth-like properties. How could scientists miscalculate the density of a meteor that's coming so close to the Earth? So getting the mass of an object that doesn't have anything orbiting it is actually incredibly difficult. This is Dr. Lisa Will.
3: Professor of physics and astronomy at San Diego City College. I'm also the
0: resident astronomer at the Fleet Science Center and the co founder of Astronomy on Tap San Diego. At the Sky Tonight at the Fleet Science Center, Dr. Will takes you through what you can expect to see on a San Diegan clear night every month, which outside of May gray and June gloom, we tend to have a lot of. Yeah, uh, mass can be difficult. I I can hear some of you out there shouting, mass isn't the same as density, which is true. But you need the mass of an object to calculate its density. You need to know what an object is made of and how big it is to know how dense it is.
3: Um, for planets and other solar systems, we get their masses by looking at their gravitational tug on the star that they're orbiting. Um, and so that allows us to back out the mass. But we have a hard time finding out the masses of objects unless we know something in particular about them.
0: Like whether or not they have their own moon
3: which is why we didn't really know how low mass Pluto was until its largest moon, Charon, was discovered in the late 1970s, Uh, so over 40 years after Pluto had been discovered. And that's why, you know, Pluto had some issues.
0: Okay, but still, we know the composition of different meteors during meteor showers. For example, during the Perseid shower in August, the night sky can be filled with neon green, purple, pink, orange, and white meteors. That's because the meteors contain magnesium, iron, calcium, sodium, and silicon. How do we know what these passing meteors are made of? Researchers can look at a meteor's infrared reflectance spectrum.
1: The interesting thing about that is how, that's how we identify things out in the cosmos because every atom, every molecule, everything that we look at has a unique spectra.
0: Joining Lisa and I is Professor Shane Haggard.
1: I am a chemistry and analytical chemistry professor at San Diego City College. Um, Along with a background in chemistry, I have a background in chemical engineering and emergency medicine with uh, about 15 years experience in the field as a paramedic. And uh, looking forward to uh, talking about some science and being a little geeky today.
0: Scientists can only look at the surface of passing meteors.
1: So we could look at this asteroid or they could look at it and say, hey, it's got this particular spectra, so it's probably made of carbon or silica or this or that, and not ever really see that maybe the inside is solid iron because they didn't see that signature fingerprint that you would see for for iron or something even heavier. So that's how we can actually go, oh, that star or that nebula or that or that is made out of this because we see that fingerprint, which is very cool science.
0: Okay, a density miscalculation is feasible. However... So something large enough to actually move the moon probably would have
3: broken up the moon at least somewhat. But, you know, for the purpose of the book, just nudging it further, uh, yeah, that's good enough.
0: (laughs) The meteor hitting the moon is only the beginning. Miranda and her family are glued to the local TV news station. A news anchor, turning pale, double-checks what he heard in his earphone.
2: The newsman cleared his throat like taking a few extra seconds was going to change what he had to say.
0: There are widespread tsunamis around the world.
2: The tides seem to have swelled far beyond their normal boundaries.
0: Massive flooding all over the coasts.
2: The Statue of Liberty has been washed out to sea.
0: And the moon, all the while just hanging there. I
2: tried to look at the moon, but it scares me.
0: Unfortunately, the worst was yet to come. More after the break.
1: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, or hohenmotors.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Device, and in this episode, we're discussing Life as We Knew It by Susan Beth Pfeffer.
2: I feel like it should have been a dream.
0: In this novel, Miranda Evans keeps a diary before and after the moon is pushed closer to the Earth.
2: Like maybe I'm still dreaming, and when I wake up, none of it will have happened.
0: However, she and her family endure as the physical world transforms around them. Apocalyptic novels tend to have mankind at the center of how civilization falls into chaos. Pfeffer imagines a world changing by means outside of our influence, which, historically, is how the world has changed. The immediate fallout from the meteor's impact with the moon is terrifying. Reports come in that tides have washed away most of the coasts. So the weirdest
3: thing about tides is that you have two high tides and two low tides each day. Dr. Lisa Willigan. The way tides work is that the tides are due to a difference in gravitational force felt on two different sides of an object. If the moon got closer, the tides would become more extreme because the gravitational effect would be stronger on both of those points.
0: In this novel, the massive tidal shifts left countless people dead or injured.
2: The tides seem to have been pulled back from the East Coast, but now they're saying the Pacific is being affected also.
0: The effect was worldwide.
2: Somehow I'd forgotten there were other countries that we share the moon with.
0: Miranda's mother snaps into action, and the Evans family stocks up on supplies. Canned food, dried goods, candles, powdered milk, juice, water bottles, cat food, seed flats, first aid, toiletries, vitamins, and warm clothes when it was about to be summer.
2: Mom got this scary, I just had a brilliant idea look and then asked if they had any thermal underwear. I practically died of embarrassment.
0: The days pass and turn into weeks, which stretch into months. Storms continue. The electricity flickers on and off. Miranda's brother, Matt, comes back from college and starts chopping wood in their backyard. Gas is $9 a gallon and rising. Near-constant earthquakes are reported. And so, yeah,
3: volcanic activity, geological activity like earthquakes, um, that actually would be very likely if the moon's tidal effect on the Earth got stronger. Think of it as the ice skater problem.
0: Fitting, as Miranda is an ice skating fan. If a skater wants to increase their speed during a spin, they move their hands closer to their body. Uh,
3: The moon and the Earth are connected by... Gravity. So, if you think of the moon as being your hand, your body as the Earth, and your arm being gravity, if the moon comes closer, the Earth should spin up.
0: Increasing the spin increases the gravitational force on the Earth, hence more earthquakes.
3: Um, We would also have expect a change in the length of the day if the moon was closer.
0: However, the earthquakes don't directly impact Miranda in Pennsylvania. She and her family are more concerned about making their food storage stretch and catching diseases from mosquitoes. One hot summer morning, Miranda wakes up and the sky was an odd color of gray.
2: From what we heard on the radio, there are dormant volcanoes erupting everywhere. It's been going on for a few days now, and there's no guarantee that it's ever going to stop.
0: While there are no dormant volcanoes in Pennsylvania, one did go off in Canada nearby. Miranda's world grows cold and dark due to the volcanic ash lingering in the sky.
3: I always think back of the reports about uh, when Krakatoa erupted in the 1800s. There were reports of vivid sunsets uh, so red uh, that uh, fire trucks were called or, or fire departments were called. I think uh, even in New York. So there's, uh, you can do extreme changes to the atmosphere with one large volcanic eruption.
0: Krakatoa's 1883 eruption lasted roughly two months and impacted the entire world. Atmospheric temperatures in the northern hemisphere dropped 2.2 degrees Fahrenheit. San Diego and the rest of Southern California received a record-breaking amount of rain. In Miranda's world, multiple volcanoes are erupting globally, and they show no signs of stopping.
2: The earthquakes haven't. The floods haven't. The eruptions may not either.
0: By August, there was a frost cold enough to kill their mother's small garden. And their food storage is getting thinner and thinner. The family skips meals and starts fasting on Sundays to make it stretch. They are all losing weight. School starts, but they more just hand out textbooks and tell kids to stay at home.
2: I picked up my textbooks. Either textbooks are a lot heavier than they used to be, or I don't have as much strength as I did three months ago.
0: Miranda tries to fill her time by
2: skating at the local pond. I noticed how the woods were quiet. No birds, no insects, no squirrels rustling around. No animals scurrying away at the sound of me crunching in the leaves. But the air is filled with ash. The air is so bad. I'd skate for a few minutes and then start coughing.
0: And it keeps getting colder.
2: I had on my long johns. Sometimes I remember how upset I was when mom bought them last spring, and now I thank her over and over, at least in my mind.
0: As heavy as all this is, Miranda and her family persevere because they make decisions together. They fight and they make mistakes like all families do, but they make sure that they all have enough. And then, they're sick. Flu immobilizes Miranda's mom and two brothers.
2: The nurse says it's like 1918, the kind that will kill you anyway. And that, like them, I must be resistant to the strain.
0: It is January by this point, and it is below zero outside. Miranda has stopped noticing wildlife months earlier. But can a virus survive without animals to carry it?
1: Definitely, because we still see that even today.
0: Again, Shane Haggard.
1: You know, in the winters and, you know, the extreme north and so forth, where it is much colder than this here in San Diego, um, you still see disease being spread, even though that there are no bugs or anything's in hibernation or so, there's no animals there to spread it, we still see disease get spread. It's very interesting that diseases um, like the virus, the flu virus and so forth, they're very resilient. They can resist a lot of extreme conditions, all right? They can go dormant and just stay dormant until the right time for it to come out again.
0: Okay, that checks out, as does the volcanic activity, the shift in tides and the miscalculation of how dense the meteor was. But that level of miscalculation? Okay, probably not. Okay. But, <laughs>
3: but there, is, there is a possible chance. And like I said, it is really difficult to determine the mass of an object if it doesn't have something orbiting it out in space.
0: Within reason, of course. Between Lisa, Shane, and I, we could not find one blatant scientific fabrication. Exaggeration, maybe, but this is more than one expects, typically, from a young adult novel. Yeah, if the teenager writing a diary plot device wasn't a dead giveaway, this book is YA.
3: So I, I have to admit, when I when I read uh, books, um, I try to allow myself to uh, just enjoy the magic, as opposed to pick out too many of the nitpicky scientific details. What I, what I actually did appreciate about this one is that every event, whether or not there was some um, dramatic spin to it or not, was something plausible. Can something hit the moon? Yes. Could the moon going into a different orbit disrupt the tides? Yes. Could that drive uh, volcanism, geological activity? Yes. Uh, So the extremes, maybe not, but we tend not to write about boring things. We tend not want to read about things that don't have dramatic tension. So what I liked about it was that just the, the spin forward from these events I actually thought was reasonable overall. Um, I, I, I don't think the author... I think the author has even m- admitted they didn't do much research. They didn't try to get that... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they, I, they didn't want to get that bogged down by the scientific details when they wanted to tell the story of what was happening to this family. And I can understand that. They did, they, they, they did a scientific setup, and then how horrible it was and, and uh, how difficult it could be to survive and the beauty of trying to survive.
0: My feelings exactly. There are so many... Too many. Post-apocalyptic stories about zombies or pestilence or nuclear war or whatever. They try too hard. They take such unrealistic leaps into technology or plague that it can feel too, well, pulpy. Few of them talk about the daily reality of starvation. Of skipping a meal because your younger brother needs it more. Or making sure that your mother doesn't skip too many for the same reason. Life as we knew it has one catastrophe after another, but it stays within the bounds of logic because it doesn't dive too deep. That structure fosters a story about Miranda Evans growing up and learning to make tough, bittersweet decisions. She and her family are stronger together. She knows what she has and what she had.
2: It's funny how sorry I feel for John these days. I'm two and a half years older than him and I feel like I got those extra two and a half years to go to school and swim and have friends and he got cheated out of them. And maybe he'll live two and a half years longer than me or 20 years or 50, but he'll still never have those two and a half years of normal life.
0: It'll break your heart in the best way possible. The device is co-produced by myself and Derek Acosta. It is recorded at KPBS and Mega64 Studios in San Diego, California. John Wanzer is our audio engineer with additional music by The Bicycats. The voice actor for this episode was Crystal Waters. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director. Kinsey Moreland is podcast coordinator. Lisa Jane Morcette is operations manager. And John Decker is director of programming. You can get our monthly episodes of DEVICE on your preferred podcast app. Many thanks to Dr. Lisa Will and Professor Shane Haggard for coming in and getting a little nerdy with us. One of the best ways to learn about astronomy, the best times to see various meteor showers in San Diego, and how to recognize different constellations in the night sky is to check out the Sky Tonight at the Fleet's Planetarium. And in July, they always have a Comic-Con theme.
3: Uh, So the Sky Tonight show at the Fleet Science Center in July usually has a bit of a science fiction uh, twist. Uh, Sometimes we do the science of Star Wars, we've done the science of Star Trek, but we always welcome people in costume for the July Sky Tonight show.
0: This year, they'll be looking at the universe of comics. If you'd like a taste of what that show is like, listen to the rest of our conversation with Shane for this episode on device interviews wherever you get your podcasts. Next episode, we'll be discussing the Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver, and the truth about Army ants. So get reading. It's a long one. Device is made possible by the KPBS Explore program because science is at the heart of every exploration, and the best stories take us somewhere worth going. Thanks for listening.